welcome to this episode of Turkish TV Time. Today we're talking about Midnight at Para Palace episode four, where basically just everything gets more complicated. I don't think anything was actually solved or revealed, but we got a lot of fun Ahmet trudging through sewers and a lot of fun <laughs> Esra running around making messes. So I thought it was a great episode. I am actually drinking tea tonight, guys. Wow. Okay, but you made that tea a, like a while before we recorded, so well, how... I I delayed once Sophia said, oh, okay, okay, like, okay, I, I, gotta sl- I gotta slow this process. I was like, is that tea cold now? Did you make more? <laughs> but that makes sense. You just delayed it. I delayed it. <laughs> Do you guys have any tea? Nope. Nope. <laughs> okay. <laughs> <laughs> Now I am going to take us through what happened in this episode and feel free to interrupt because I don't know. (laughs) I was piecing together a lot of things as it went, but we'll see. Okay, so the episode opens with Ahmet on a carriage ride going to a creepy cabin in the middle of the night and trying not to get murdered but not very hard clearly and we guess that he's looking for dimitri to try and find the very special um package that or yeah to the very special i don't know room tunnel whatever under para palace where he can go time traveling dimitri has a lot of shit on his walls not sure what we were supposed to take away from that um maybe some of the room numbers are relevant well, he just had a lot of news clippings about the Pera Palace Hotel and a lot of like map, like plans, floor plans and stuff. Right. So he's like, yeah. as 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 would one would expect, very into it. It just kind of corroborates that he has a long history. Right. And a book titled Time Machine. Oh, yeah. <laughs> oh, I didn't even see yeah. that. Yeah. Well, there you go. <laughs> um. Okay. So he shows up with a shotgun and is like, what are you doing in my house? And then they're going to have a chat. So then we flash to Esra and it has been a little while since we watched episode three. So I completely forgot where we left her. So she's absolutely freaking the fuck out because she just saw a guy's head explode next to her. And she's having a little chat with Halit Bey about the fact that he murdered this guy right in front of her. And Esra is actually, you got to give her credit, a pretty good liar. So she makes up a lie on the spot that her sister and Fahrettin were in a relationship and he was blackmailing her and that's why she was trying to find Fahrettin. Then we flash back to Ahmet and Dimitri and it's so obvious what's going to happen. I can't believe our guy Ahmet fell for this, but basically he's like, they're in these tunnels that are like 500 miles underneath the hotel. And um <laughs> I don't know. They're not even, they're not even under the hotel. They're, um, he like takes him to like the old part of the old walls of Constantinople. That's like oh. way far away from the hotel. So that's why Ahmed's like, why are, Why is the passageway here? I would expect it to be in the hotel. Why are we going here? Oh my and God, he's he like even dumber than it. I thought. Yeah, he's even dumber than he thought, exactly. <laughs> <Okay>. <laughs> and um, Dimitri is like, yo, look into that giant cavernous hole that's right in front of us behind this locked door. And you should definitely go first, not me. And then he just pushes him down the well and we assume that he's dead, but he's not yay. So we'll go back to him. 
Then Esra, Halit Bey, for some reason, lets Esra out and um, back into her life. And so we just run into Reshat at the garden club for no apparent reason. He's just kind of a stalker, a weird stalker guy. And she's in her dress and he's like upset slash appalled by the fact that she's in her sparkly performing dress. But why would he go into the club in the, well, it's very confusing. Maybe he was like, well, that, that like main drag is like not that far from the hotel. I I mean, maybe he was on the street and he noticed her go in or something like that. But yeah, it's not, it's kind of like for plot reasons he entered. (laughs) Yeah, it was, it was weird. It didn't seem like his kind of bar. We find out that Ahmed is alive, yay, and he's in a sewer, oh no, and he's in a lot of poo, but, um, you know, wandering around the sewers in Istanbul, you can probably find some pretty cool shit, so he should go exploring for some ancient Roman stuff or something while he's there and covered in poop. Esra and Halit have a kind of heart-to-heart where they have a lot of whiskey, a drinking contest, and Esra is trying to very subtly figure out um about Halit's older brother Osman who we learned last episode is an ally of Fahrettin and Halit knows what she's doing because he listened outside the door in the para palace when she was shouting this information to an empty room that she thought Ahmed was in so he's on to her but anyway she she proposed a drinking contest and so they start sharing stuff with each other mostly her sharing that he looks like um I forget who she said Humphrey Bogart and and um oh god the other one was even more modern than way Humphrey more Bogart modern. uh god oh Robin Williams and Robin Williams <laughs> which is such a weird vibe I don't know what she's talking about Humphrey Bogart was definitely born at that point but Robin Williams was not so it's kind of wild it's really funny yeah um and he says that he was in Chanakale and he seems very, like, I don't know, broody about it, which one would understand. But we, we're learning, slowly learning more about him. She swoons in his arms and passes out from all of the alcohol. She's drunk for no reason. And he carries her home, which is sweet. And he definitely should have just killed her and dumped her body into the Bosphorus after she witnesses him murdering somebody. <laughs> Then the next day, Esra goes to Sutluce to find Osman. And um, it's a weird vibe. Osman's wife seems very nervous. I definitely want to chat about that later. Um, Halit also shows up at Osman's house at the same time, but gets turned away because Osman is very anti-foreigner and he refuses Halit's help, helping hand, basically. Osman wants to do a trade, an information trade with Esra. So he wants to know about her Peride's father's ammunitions depot. And then he'll tell Esra about the assassination plan for Mustafa Kemal. Seems fair. But I don't know. There's something sketchy about him. Ahmed is still in the tunnels. And then we go back to Esra. (laughs) That's basically Ahmed's entire plot line. And Esra... um, she has a brilliant idea to basically ingratiate herself back into her Peride's family in order to find out about the depot by going through Reshat Bay. In, um, and she basically, they decide that she's mentally ill 
And that's why she acted like that. And that's why they needed to take her back into the family. And it works. So, wow. Um, Halit goes to try and find Esra after this and finds Sonia instead. But he's clearly looking for Esra. So Sonia is very sad. And um, that makes me wonder if Ahmed's like Dumbledore hand is going to come back. We can talk about that. Esra wakes up everybody in the house uh, by in the mansion by freaking out about Layla, her daughter, and says that um, she's been kidnapped. And it's a little weird. So it was good. I was like very confused what was happening. And then I was like, oh, she's actually really smart. So basically what happened is there was a kidnapping note left that said, give them gold at the munitions munitions depot because Esra didn't know where it was and so in that way she's able to find the munitions depot Layla is safe in Sonia's room stashed away and she's just being a great mother as per usual <laughs> um, and uh, then we see Halit and George and the rest of the British guys and Halit is incredible with a gun just unbelievable marksmanship from him so that's concerning and gets the final go-ahead for the assassination and george says i assume that's george says uh it has to take place at parapolis so everyone can see it and so it makes a statement then um ahmed finally makes it out of the sewer yay good good for ahmed um uh, mustafa she goes to okay esra goes to see mustafa kamal basically gives him a note saying, um, do not come to Parapalas. It's very dangerous. Stay far away. But she writes it in modern Turkish with the Latin alphabet. And so therefore she uh, inspired the creation of modern Turkish through Ataturk, through her note. So she's really, we got to thank her for a lot of things. Then we learn that George has taken Leila from the room with Sonia and is holding her captive in order to force Peride slash Esra to throw a party at the Parapalace for Mustafa Kemal. And she's got to do this to get Layla back safely. And she has three days. And that is the end of the episode. So now we're going to move on into the gossip slash banter slash spilling my extremely lukewarm tea section. <laughs> Where do you guys want to start so i think wait what i can't remember what i said a little while ago but i wanted to go back into that um line of thought but i guess the interesting one would be like how she thought she outsmarted everyone and then everyone outsmarted her like i wonder how they realized that the kid was there like did they follow her or like how did that work i have no idea <laughs> But I did think that the kidnapping plot that Estra did was really smart. But clearly, I don't know. Halit's got her number and, and George must have her number as well. I don't know. I just, it feels like someone would have to, like, it would have to be someone that the proprietor of where, um, like, essentially the brothel where 
uh, Sonia oh. and um, uh, Estar saying, like, it feels like some it would be someone that she wouldn't think was like, look, what are you doing here? Why are you here? Are you here for like my downstairs business or like, do you know someone upstairs? Because I feel like she does protect, like, that's the vibe I got was that she does protect like the the renters upstairs and like you know it's 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 a completely separate world so like it seems weird that like some goon would be able to walk in and just like go to the upper floors so i think the finger again gets pointed at hudith a little bit right because he definitely knew her yeah or sonia is up to something i yeah that also occurred to me while you were talking is like sonia might just be jealous of Esra slash she's basically treating her like a maid looking after her child. Yeah, like the roommate. <laughs> how to be rid of babysitting duties. Although she does say that the, the British guy came for her. So like I I guess the off like if the officer came into the brothel, they can't really say anything because he's like an a military dude. Yeah, I guess so. I guess he could have just like barged in, but it would have to be like with guns blazing. So know seems like it would have been more subtle than that true true indeed um what is up with this dimitri guy he definitely doesn't want ahmed to actually find anything out (laughs) yeah which is weird because i feel like at the beginning of the show i thought ahmed was like the most knowledgeable Mm -hmm. super parapalace caretaker too right right which is kind of cool um but he, that was also a very dumb move by him. Yeah, like, why would this guy who literally just met you, like, tell you, like, one of the deepest, darkest secrets of all time? <laughs> yeah. Take you there. But right? also, why does he have, like, a Russian-sounding name? Also confuses me. It's not Russian-sounding. It's a Greek name. He's Greek. Oh, Dimitri. Yeah, yeah. I just associate it with, you know, Anastasia, like, her friend in the movie is called well her love interest i guess is dimitri so yeah no there's a lot of dimitris in a lot of languages yeah (laughs) Yeah, i guess i just have that association in my brain also was it just a um a way to like transition from scene to scene or is there like a psychic connection between ahmed and esra because she was like Uh, hearing him when he was screaming for help kind of no i thought that was just a cut between scenes i don't think but that they, was... she woke up from her nap because he was like screaming yeah and i thought it was because like that thing was an actual wormhole and it was like somewhere in the hotel mm. but mm. i like that i don't think I it's don't, true though. i don't remember no, this but I like play it. <laughs> ever just as a mini like i don't remember any kind of psychic connection ever being a thing but maybe i'm forgetting <laughs> an important plot point <laughs> Okay, again, this episode, I just feel like Reshat is, like, such an unnecessary player in this show. <laughs> like, we could cut him out and nothing would change. So yeah. I I really don't understand what he is doing here. I feel like he's just, like, a guy with a lot of mo- mobility in terms of, like, because he's a military officer. Like, he can just, like, get around and move places and, like, have the authority to enter situations. And, like, he's just gonna... He's just a headache. Like, he's just gonna keep popping yeah. up and being like, yeah, this is not proper. Marry me. So, that's, like, his his role is to frustrate things. <laughs> but the weird part is that he's not even, like, a spy for her father. He's just there, like... Yeah, like, a babysitter, of... whatever. Yeah. He's, like... 
I think he's clean. He's he might be an unwitting accomplice to things, but I don't think he's like got sinister motives. But he's okay. also like, please read the room. You are not wanted. <laughs> he is obnoxious as hell, but yeah. <laughs> I'm also like very confused as to how quickly her family like changed their mind once she like does her plot of like oh she's not well mentally or whatever yeah they were like oh yeah come back it's fine we're not mad at you well it's definitely like especially if they know know like where she was staying like it's such a liability for the family name that they would much rather just lock her up in a golden cage than Mm. um allow her to be out there dancing on stage yeah acting allegedly crazy so except they know that like she won't stay like they've tried to have her in the in the gilded cage but she's not very good at staying yeah they're not very good they're not very good at like the gilded caging at all yeah that's like more on them than her they need to try harder (laughs) (laughs) they're really bad at it (laughs) yeah and then also so I guess you clarified it to me, but like I wasn't clear on why Halit was like shooting random boxes. Like, was me that just either. to show that he's and they shot? they did so much zooming in on the box that he shot? I know. Like, I get okay, okay. Here's a theory: something to do with how precise of a shot he is is going to allow him to fuck up the assassination in like the right way. Okay. That's what I, I, I'm 100% on Holly is a good guy team right now. And really? yeah, because he he should have killed Estra. It makes no sense that he didn't kill yeah. Estra. Yeah. But I guess it's too public because like her family is a close ally of the British and they're going to like question. I feel like they can't anger her father. Not that he probably would care if they killed her, like wouldn't stop the deal, but like I think that could be probably why he's keeping her alive, though. It could be. He could definitely go back. I could definitely go back on him. But right now I'm feeling good guy. The other story that the storyline that confused me was the brother. Yes, we need to talk about that. Like. okay, For me, the most clear thing was that it was a very religious neighborhood. Mm hmm. But it other still than is. That, it's in it's an ape, which is like by Fati district, yeah. and it's like super. It's like a different century over yeah, there yeah. still. So it, that didn't surprise there. me. Yeah. Would I you call there. what she's wearing a a niqab or something else? Yeah, I think it. I mean, if, if, yeah, I think so. I don't know. Hold on, isn't yeah, isn't niqab, isn't, the, isn't the niqab like the Afghan one that's like. Hold on. No, no, it's a niqab. Yeah, you're right. It's a niqab. Because the there's like another one that's the for the term. Eyes. Yeah, mm-hmm. there's like one that they wear that the Taliban mandated like in their first reign. That's like, it's like, even the eyes are covered, but like right. with like really really tiny holes to see through. And there's a different word for that. So I thought niqab was that, but no. This what I'm thinking of is called something else that I cannot recall. But <laughs> yeah. Burka, Esgi. I don't know. Is it just the burka? Hold on, let me see. When I I oh it I, is yeah it's just the burka yeah the burka yeah the burka covers the eyes or like yeah that's the that's the most made most famous by the 
Taliban, but Taliban. obviously worn worn by others too, but um or women in other areas too. But yes, this is a niqab with the eyes, only the eyes visible. Okay, so first of all, I know we're supposed to think that Osman is a good guy, but his house was V sketchy. His wife did his wife call him Bay? I thought that yeah, was Yeah, but that's not that's not weird in that religious of a household like he is yeah. the master like there's yeah. no equity in he seemed very nervous the whole time she was be pregnant no yes was she yeah. <laughs> i didn't notice that she at was all. extremely pregnant and uh hadith was like oh mehmet is so grown up and he's gonna be a big brother too oh wow miss that and then also yeah, the like oh now you care about us Ooh. yeah <laughs> Yeah, the brother yeah. has an evil-looking face. Mm-hmm. But... Yeah, yeah. Agreed. Trust the handsome actors, not the yeah. Trust the, ones. the handsome ones. <laughs> <laughs> but Halit is also very sketchy. I don't trust him still. Him catching a swooning Esra wasn't enough to sway you. Yeah. <laughs> oh God, that was also very predictable that they were going to have some sort of relationship. Yeah, but now does that mean like Ahmed is but, just gonna Dumbledore here? Yeah. With any luck. <laughs> what did you say no. about Dumbledore? Yeah, the Dumbledore hand that he had. That oh, right. Has, like, right. has not been shown. I don't know if it like got better or like we there's just like no plot sitting, so we didn't see. No, we'll see it again because it's gonna come back per Sammy's prediction. <laughs> so. It's gotta get worse. I mean, things yeah. are looking bad for Sonia. <laughs> yeah. Yeah. Um, um, Sophia, you were saying you'd been to that neighborhood. Sorry. I think you got cut off. She's been to Ayub. I don't know. If, have you been to Sutuja? Yes. I don't know if Sutuja, but I did go to Ayub where I was like dressed pretty like Western-y, I guess. And everyone was dressed very not Western-y. And they looked at me like, what? Like the time you and I, Ezgi, went to Brooklyn, um, to like <laughs> very, very Hasidic part. And we were wearing like jeans. Like we weren't yeah. wearing like skirts or anything, but people yeah. were like weirded out by us. We did get um, really good babka, though. Yeah, I don't know if that was a good trade-off for Babka's not that hot. Agree. 100% agree. Also, your friend just, like, ruined the Met Cloisters for me. Now I have to go back and watch it and observe the art in quiet. <laughs> Hopefully he doesn't listen to this podcast. No, you can edit that out. You know, that was an <laughs> Um, oh, I was gonna say oh yeah Ape is like well like if you're going to Ape Sultan Mosque like that is quite touristy or like Kiandoti like the overlook is an Ape and is quite touristy like there's pockets where it's like fine and also Sutuja is like on the Golden Horn so the upper hills are like a little bit worse is the wrong word to use but they're like more conservative and like less tourist friendly um but where Sutuja is in the present day there's like a big event center there's like a little kitty theme park thing of like little miniature replicas of Turkish landmarks there's like there's like touristy yeah (laughs) it's okay it's a it's a it's like not 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 that cool it's actually exciting I imagine like a tiny Nemrut and like a tiny yeah literally that's what it is yeah you just like walk around there's like little tiny replicas and that sounds it's, so cool. It's, that's it. That's it. Um, anyway, <laughs> um, so there's like, there's like, 
things to do that like attract tourists slash people who don't live in Sutuje. So it's not that I mean it's it's more cosmopolitan now, I guess, than what uh they showed on the show. But um I also was surprised that at the like the prevalence of the niqab there because I didn't I don't know like I remember my grand my grandma always says like because she went to so she was a teacher um and when she went to the like the whatever the teaching pro a teaching program like one of the good ones in Istanbul which was in Beyazut which is not all that far from like Sutuje and all these places in Ayyub and I remember her saying like there was that you would barely see women wearing a hijab let alone like anything more conservative and this was in the like early 60s so this was a long time ago but by the same token it was kind of close enough to the kind of the dawn of the republican era in turkey that um women were quite western dressing that in general especially in istanbul now there's been so much migration to istanbul from Anatolia and I think we've talked about that before on this podcast where it's like the demographics have changed a lot and so those areas I guess I'm sure they researched that that was a conservative Muslim area before so it's just interesting to see like in 1919 it was like then right now if you go maybe not to Sutuje but like definitely like a few blocks up the hill from it for example like you would for sure see a similar site um but in the middle there there was a time when it, it was very uncommon so it just goes to show the waves of uh again different demographic changes that have happened yeah that's super interesting and i think political changes too right yeah i mean the in like i don't know the os not to generalize but like the osman crowd of like he seems to be religious because he's got you know the headgear and Mm -hmm. you know obviously how that neighborhood is a lot of people in that very religious camp were all about keeping like the caliphate going aka keeping the ottoman empire going and there were multiple attempts to either have insurrections or just straight up assassinate from like that camp of like again people wanting the people wanting like the religious cults to have power still or have influence Mm. like the way they did with the sultan um and then you still see unfortunately a lot of the you know, for people who want, you know, for me, for example, like people who want Turkey to be like a true democracy without, you know, those kinds of influences, uh, pockets of influence, um, undue influence, I should say, that are undemocratic, like it's still a big challenge to um, rid the government of those kinds of, uh, I mean, they're basically like, it's similar in the US, like PACs, like they're not PACs, but like they don't fundraise or anything, but they're like, people with a lot of strong following or religious groups with a strong following so they can influence they can just tell their voters vote for this like one one issue voters kind of thing so um it's still it's still definitely a headache in terms of democracy building in turkey um and so that i mean just knowing what i know about turkey today and like the history subsequent to 1919 in the early republican era like people like Osman would not like Mustafa Kemal probably. So that's for me is like that's why I'm like very sketched out by him. Is like that's super he... interesting because I yeah. when I when he was talking like oh I hate the foreigners, and I I was just the, like assuming the word that he'd he be pro the word Kemal. he used is gavur which means infidels. 
Oh, it's not foreigners. Yeah, <laughs> yeah. They translated I mean, it as foreigners, which yeah, yeah they yeah. translated it. Also, Gilmore is like quite a crude word, also for infidel. Like, mm -hmm. um, like there are people and people today in Turkey who would say that about like you know tourists and stuff, but it would be like very frowned upon. Like that's very mm -hmm. rude of you to call someone that kind of a thing. Mm -hmm. Um, or they would do it to be funny. Like I like in the there's that band collect if you stumble that we saw in concert mm -hmm. and there's a a frenchman in that band so he has a joke like calls himself that because he's like very much in the, this group of like turkish muslims but he's like a french dude also he's like married to one of them so it's like so he just like no yeah he just he does and he says it as a joke about himself it's not like they're calling him that um but other than cases like that it's like extremely rude to call people that so <laughs> um yeah anyway, also it's like a term that ha has been weaponized like against non-muslim minorities so it's just like not a, not a good thing to say but I yeah home, home yeah home dog one is like give her this give her that <laughs> so <laughs> I think, okay good to know yeah. i think as you just explained a lot of things <laughs> yeah. yeah all of that was super helpful context <laughs> yeah and just another disclaimer like i don't like people should absolutely practice whatever religion they want i'm not saying that you know conservative islam or anything is bad i'm just saying that when it's been politicized in turkey it has typically led to like undemocratic end results or violence so mm -hmm. it's uh it's just an observation especially about this time period of like people vying different groups of people vying for power um probably where osman sits is not pro mustafa kemal um but at the moment we don't know where he falls on the spectrum <laughs> interesting do we have anything else we want to discuss in this section i feel like i had something but I, if i remember i'll just bring it up in wtf because i feel like it was something of that flavor okay. anyway <laughs> um i love the fact that esra invented the modern Turkish alphabet. Oh yeah, okay, that's what I, I was. That gonna, was hilarious. That is what I, I was gonna that. say. Yeah, I just think that's so funny. It's <laughs> like I on the one hand, catch that. Oh yeah, you did it because he was like staring at her because the guy hands it to him and he's like, yeah. I don't know what language this is. And then he's but like, But I thought that Mustafa Kemal had already come up with it at that point or something. No, he came up with it ten years later, or nine years. Or later. did he? <laughs> yeah, did he have the idea already. Um, I don't know. He literally like introduced it and made it law overnight. So it's not really clear. Like at one point he was developing it. <laughs> also at that point, 1919, he had other, he really had other things to do at that point. But... <laughs> <laughs> Let's hope he was worrying about other things. On the one hand, I'm like, LOL. Cause it's like a TV show and it's funny. On the other hand, I'm like, okay, but this is suggesting that he wasn't like brilliant enough to cope with it on his own but by the same token he was brilliant enough to immediately like read the latin letters and be yeah. like oh this is like phonetically this is the same as turkish um so it's kind of a weird scene um oh my my wtf adjacent to this which i'm previewing now i guess because i'm I, I fear i'm gonna forget it again is uh who wrote the um ransom like note in ottoman script Oh my gosh. Point. That is such a good little nitpick. Yeah. Is maybe the is the daughter like an old enough to do that? Maybe. Or she does Sonia know? Precocious. Sonia might know. Sonia might know how to write an Ottoman script. Mm. 
Um, but I feel like that how pretty it was and how polished it was, like that's not something like a, a young child who just learned how to write. Yeah. So I guess it has to be Sonia, because she seems to have been the only one clued into the mm-hmm. into the plot. Yeah. Or Ahmed, maybe? I don't know. Was Ahmed like out of there by then? I don't know. Yeah, Ahmed was in the tunnels the whole time. <laughs> yeah, Ahmed has an alibi for this whole <laughs> That's a good one. I like that. Yeah. I would imagine that Layla wrote it and she just has incredible penmanship. Yeah. For a child. <laughs> she studied calligraphy for her whole life. Also, yeah. like at a, at a time, I think the literacy rate, it may, it maybe, low. Sophia, this came up in your research, but I think it was like three to 5% of the population could read oh and write. So, like, for if Layla could do that, like, wow. So, so, um, so elite of her <laughs> well i was also surprised when he asked um when he gave the note to her and was like read it like for yourself because like i feel like i i don't i mean i don't know but like i don't know what kind of an education she would have received even with her station yeah i don't know who knows who knows Okay, so now we are going to very appropriately move on into the history section where Sophia, the histress, is going to tell us about the <laughs> modern Turkish alphabet. Will do. So um, during the Ottoman Empire, and I think probably beforehand, or actually I'll talk about this a little bit later, but um, Turkish at the at the end of at this time period was written in in arabic script so um and as as Ezgi mentioned beforehand not a lot of people knew how to read or write um ottoman turkish because it was a very complicated um i i don't even i don't even know if well language and script everything was pretty complicated so one of the things that mustafa kemal did when he came to power uh was turn the turkish alphabet into the latin script um but the difference is that the the turkish alphabet has 29 letters and seven of which are like special uh based on the phonetic requirements of the language so one one is like the c like the french c but has a different sound which is ch and then there's the g which is silent the g with like little hat on it um there's the i without the dot which is like uh and then there's the I with the dot, which is like that normal sounding I. Then there's the O, which is the like German sounding O. And then the S is sh, and then the U is the German sounding U with the little dots on it. Um, so it was it was mandated in 1928. Um, and it is only the latest in a series of alphabets that was used in Turkey. So actually the Arabic alphabet was not the only way in which Turkish was written. Um, and the alphabet was created by um, Agop Dilachar, and he was a linguist that was of Armenian origin. Um, and so apparently other Turkish Turkic languages were also not written in the Latin script until very recently. So the Turkish alphabet has been a model for um, Latinizing other Turkic language, like, for example, Azerbaijani, um, Turkmen and Kazakh. And these were done pretty recently, like Azerbaijani was Latinized in 1991, Turkmen in 1993, 
and Kazakh in 2021. And were they but Cyrillic before? They were, yeah, some were Cyrillic and some were Arabic. So I think the Kazakh, the Kazakh one was actually Arabic. No, Kazakh oh, okay. was Cyrillic. And it's, was it? Yeah, and it's actually still ongoing. It's going to be completed in 2025, the new alphabet. Oh. oh, okay. And the reason for that, which is probably the same reason that there's switching from Arabic, is that it's a lot easier for keyboards for a language hmm. to be written in Latin alphabet. I will also, I mean, this is also kind of what Ustatruk said, I think, when he unveiled the language, but I agree with him. Like, Turkic languages... I would imagine in general, but especially like Turkish spoken in Turkey is very vowel heavy. So with Arabic, especially with, you know, the non-existence of vowels and the like three consonant bases that make up every word that you kind of have to, through context, figure out like what form of that base is being pronounced because it's not written phonetically in any way. I can only imagine how difficult that is to know like what the heck's going on um, with the logic of Turkish and again so many so many vowel sounds um, so never really I mean that's like I think that's one of the things Atatürk said when he was unveiling it was like this never really made sense with how our language and grammar are structured so and, and the literacy rate shooting up the way it did of course part of it was part of you know government policy again building schools in rural areas and and you know making sure people at all levels socioeconomically had access to education was one thing, but also like it had to have been easier to learn because like adults got more literate too and they weren't going to like little kitty schools, of course. So anyway, obviously I'm very pro this change and I would not have, I don't know, I would have as a, like a, a heritage learner had a hard time, I think with learning Arabic yeah, script myself. Mm -hmm. So apparently the first script that Turkish was written in was the Orkhan script, which is the old, it's also called the old Turkic alphabet. And it, mm. it dates from the seventh century. And as we mentioned previously, Turkic languages have usually been written in different language, different alphabets, including Uyghur, Cyrillic, Arabic, Greek, Latin, and even other Asiatic writing systems. Um, but as we mentioned previously, the the one that lasted the longest was the Arabic script, the Arabic script, which was used for over a thousand years, and it apparently was poorly suited to write works that incorporated a great deal of Arabic and Persian vocabulary, because the spelling was not phonetic. So they like basically mm. it was just meant to be memorized in general, and that's why, um, it was very difficult to learn this language. Like it was very like formal and prestigious and it was very much focused like based on Arabic and Persian words so it was hard to predict how the words would be spelled it were there were not words that would be used in conversation and it was it was more suited for like the Turkish words rather than the Arabic and Persian words which as I mentioned were mostly memorized there were there although there were a few words in Turkish that had to be memorized and um, so basically what happened with the script and, and I think it became more and more of a problem as like it became later and later in time, the spoken language was very different from the written language. So it mm -hmm. made it, first of all, probably like less of an incentive for people to learn how to write because it was just not something they would use. Like it, it wasn't similar to how they spoke. And then also 
it was extremely complicated and with a lot of foreign words that you had to memorize like it made no sense how they were written so basically that um was was made it so a lot of people were illiterate and didn't know how to read and write um which i don't know if we mentioned it previously i could look it up but i think there was a high high um illiter illiteracy rate mm -hmm. so as we talked about previously um a lot of the most conservative and religious parts of the society were not uh in agreement with with these sorts of reforms um and because they felt that it was kind of a, a break with the islamic world um because there it would be the adoption of like a foreign concept and a foreign alphabet um and like having the arabic script would connect um you know turkey to the rest of the muslim world um i don't know how it works but possibly like there was probably also an association thinking that like if you can read turkish and arabic script like you could possibly also read arabic i don't know if you could under probably not understand it but possibly probably read not. it yeah um and then also like a lot of people opposed it because they said that the the sounds couldn't be really adapted um so they were suggesting that they modify the arabic script so they could better uh some, like represent the turkish vowels but in 1926 the the turkic republics of the soviet union started using the latin script so that motivated a lot of like it it pushed for turkey to adopt it too apparently also turkish speaking armenians used another type of script to translate like bibles and and texts into mm -hmm. turkish which was called the misrobian script which is like another um well it's the armenian alphabet so um they were already using a different mm -hmm. um alphabet for the same language and that's why the team which developed the the alphabet was composed of of some people of of armenian descent um and then there's the the turkish that was spoken that was spoken in the karamanli turkish which i don't know I, this is something i'm learning now but it was written <laughs> in the in the greek alphabet so it's another like variant of turkish it was apparently from the from the more greek part where where there were a lot of well, where, where people from the population exchange um were part of but it doesn't really who the karaman the turks were oh native to greece bulgaria north macedonia romania and turkey oh yeah those are yeah i think this i think uh my family lore on my dad's side is like linked to that like they yeah. were expelled from karaman which is in which is near konya it's in like central anatolia yeah. they were expelled for some kind of troublemaking i don't know what they did uh, <laughs> but like a large group were expelled and exiled to the balkans and then so that's why they are like they were like turkish speaking muslims but they were oh. in the balkans so my my dad's side originates in bulgaria and they left right. due to persecution under the communist regime um so but they i've heard of this like karaman connection from i don't even know what century that happened or again what the trouble they caused was but <laughs> they were punished by exile <laughs> the 19th century apparently oh it's not even that old okay yeah. Um, so that might actually be true then. I thought it was like way older and it was like lore, but it sounds like this is a real thing. Sounds legit. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, sounds legit. <laughs> yeah, I can't, I can't really. 
Well, they had a newspaper published from 1850 to 1922. Um, but I can't, there's not a lot of information on it, sadly. I'm looking at the um, Orcon alphabet. It's really cool looking. Very cool. Yeah, looking. it's really cool looking. The alphabets are really interesting looking. Yeah. Um, I'm I'm also surprised I didn't know that they wrote some of the Turkic languages in Cyrillic. That seems really strange. I it was it religious. Well, no, it's because like Russia proximity. Ah. Uh, right. Yeah, that makes a lot of sense. Yeah. <laughs> Russia proximity slash Soviet I, conquering, I'm sure. Yeah, exactly. I remember when I read about like how the Cyrillic language was spread, it was like all by monks. Like, well, initially. Right. Yeah. Yeah, because Saint Cyril is the one who developed. Yeah. He was a, a monk, and it's based on the Greek alphabet. So yeah, yeah, yeah. I mean, Cyrillic alphabet confuses me so much. I don't really like it very much. If you know the Greek letters, it's not that bad. It's like pretty phonetic. If you know like what the Greek letters represent, but like the P looks like the R or vice versa. <laughs> I it's know just... all that from math. I yeah, just... but. <laughs> Some of the letters are real weird, and also I've had a lot of foreign professors who pronounce them really weird, so I'm very confused <laughs> about what they actually are. <laughs> um, so basically, in order to introduce the alphabet, they had to create a commission, um, the Language Commission, which had a, like several members, and they were the ones in charge of creating the, the new alphabet. Um, and basically what they had to do is take the phonetic requirements of Turkish and translate it into the Latin alphabet. Um, and it was meant to do like the sounds of spoken Turkish rather than like written Ottoman script, which given what we discussed previously about how the written script was like not close enough to the spoken script. So it wasn't that useful for people. Um, well, that made it much more useful for people. Um and so Ataturk toured the whole country showing the new alphabet. Um, and they they create they wanted to do a five-year transition period, but Ataturk said that it had to be done in three months. <laughs> so <laughs> it was really, really very, very ambitious. Mm-hmm. Um, and the so the law passed in November on November 1st, 1928. And so on December 1st, like all the newspapers, magazines, subtitles, and movies, are advertisements and signs had to change to the new alphabet. And then from January 1st of the next year, it was like mandatory in public communications and internal communications. Um, Every book like had also to be printed in this new script. Um, And they could like the population could use it in transactions until the 1st of June of that year. and then the so Hatay province, which was French for a while, um, it was under French control. So they t- they adapted the the Latin alphabet on, in 1934. So much later. Oh, interesting. Um, but other than that, it was a pretty swift transition, it seems. Um, and especially, I think this is my hypothesis. I don't know if this is true, but like the fact that. Mustafa Kemal himself was so behind it, probably made people much more interested in adapting it. Cause yeah, yeah, he was pretty popular. So the literacy rate increased from around ten percent to ninety percent with this new um script. 
but this was also because of there was like a huge educational campaign to get people yeah. to read and write uh and so, like schools being built in rural areas where they yeah. never existed previously so it was not only because people because it was easier which it definitely was easier but also because there was a lot of like public resources invested into people becoming literate um and basically what they said it, it was was that um actually Ismet Inanu said that the biggest impact of the alphabet reform wasn't just to make it easy to read and write but it was a whole cultural thing and it was kind of to like cut the tie a little bit with Arabic culture is well the quote I'm not exactly quoting him but he said like we inevitably lost our connection with Arabic culture because of the change um so I mean it probably in a way was also saying like Turkey is different from every like different in a mm -hmm. in a good way like I guess it was a way of like creating also kind of a Turkish exceptionalism which is very different from the American exceptionalism but since it had been like the Ottoman Empire which was so big and had so many parts of the Arab world the Persian world the Turkish world and like I feel and today a lot of people just view all those three cultures as one and the same just because they're all Muslim mm -hmm. so it's probably a way of like creating a different national identity as well separate from what the Ottoman Empire had been and what people viewed as like one massive empire rather than like one country that was like a republic and independent and like wanted to stand on the side of all these countries that had kind of looked down upon it and like colonized it in a non-traditional or like in a very economic way for a long time it's like a clear choice also that was made between turning west or turning or keep maintaining the position yeah. of looking east because that's really all that was left of the declining ottoman empire was like the holdings in the east because the west had kind of been retaken by christian armies or whatever but yeah um Turk was firmly saying like i am interested in modeling my government after the governments to the west of turkey not to the east and southeast and um or and a lot of that has to do with like like you were alluding to the psychological break through the change yeah. of the alphabet with um not just the arab world but like the muslim world so because it, it's the language of the quran um and i mean he, he even like one of his big unrealized projects was translating not not just translating the quran into turkish because that's been done obviously there's like versions of the quran in every language um but having the um call to prayer in the turkish language and not in arabic mm. which was one of the reasons a lot of these religious cults got really worked up was like that's they they viewed that as like the most heretical thing ever um because that's like to them that's like the language god speaks in uh is, is arabic um so like and he never like that never caught on um the society is, continues to not be ready for anything like that but like his whole with religion like he himself was a man of faith but he was very much like people should know what they're reading so like the, the the alphabet should be legible to our language and also like the you know the so-called word of god should be understandable to everyone um literate or not hearing it or reading it um so 
you know, a lot of propaganda from people who still don't support uh, Mustafa Kemal Ataturk's revol various revolutions. Um, we'll, we'll try to paint him as like a non-religious person or even an atheist. And not that atheism is a bad thing, but, you know, like they view it as a bad thing. And so it's like a smear tactic. It's like, oh, he changed the alphabet. Oh, he tried to translate the call to prayer and all these things. It's like, well, no, he was doing that because he wanted people to like know what they were <laughs> uh, being told in in the mosque, essentially. Um, I mean, it's it's pretty similar to what happened in the Catholic Church where they yeah, used to Latin. Latin. Yeah. Many countries until pretty recently. And then, I mean, I don't know if it was actually in the Middle Ages. It depends on the place, but some people started saying like we can't even understand what they're saying like nobody can understand the bible that yeah. doesn't make any sense like, yeah translated into local languages yeah well that was the big scandal with protestantism right when it i mean with yeah. the when it, when the um reformation was originally coming about was like the use of vernacular <laughs> language like how dare <laughs> so it's yeah it's a it's an old old let's say headache yeah old tactic <laughs> kind of elite, keeping the language of faith in a in an elite uh on an elite shelf um but anyway he yeah he he was he made a deliberate choice to turn toward other latin alphabet using countries which were all to the west of turkey um and yeah that definitely continues to have maybe not so much about the alphabet these days i don't think people get as caught up on that anymore but like again the west versus east thing it's very cliche but it's definitely a big dilemma um with turkish identity and with the yeah. kind of the, the attitude of the governments um that have followed followed Atatürk's original government <laughs> but i also think and you can cut this out if this is too opinionated of me but like <laughs> Western countries had a distinct view of what was like civilized and uncivilized or what was like meaning like what was worthy or equal to them and what was inferior mm. to them. And I think a lot of like Eastern and like South and North American things were inferior to them in their own opinion. Like these people's culture, like they aren't monothe monotheistic, so they aren't worth it or they like have a different God that we don't agree with so like they're inferior or like whatever they're more rural I don't know imagine like whatever um so I think it's also a way of saying like we're on the same level as you we're not going to be like inferior just because you thought that you could use our country to your own desire um for a while yeah or any yeah, other they're choosing to be like legible to them um versus like oh I can't read any of the signs like as a I don't know a foreigner a representative of a foreign government or a representative of a foreign business like not being able to read any signs or understand anything that's going on like at all which is like what was that was my experience when I went to a country with the Cyrillic alphabet I was like yeah. <laughs> what's going on <laughs> and I've never been to a that. country that's Arabic speaking but I would imagine that or Persian but I imagine that would be the same kind of disorienting experience but yeah. now it's like, like oh people who come here from the west for whatever reason also will like have an inkling of what's going on um which is you know one again one way to signal an attitude a change in attitude <laughs> well it happened to us in 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 bulgaria when we walked into a mosque and the sign was in turkish and it was like so familiar where all the signs were in cyrillic so we couldn't read any yeah. of them but yeah. then the turkish sign we could read and we could <laughs> yeah. understand 
yeah even if it's just like sounding out like i mean not that there's a lot of there's not a ton of cognates between like turkish and english but like anything that's kind of seeped in through french or place names yeah you can at least like know that yeah the place name is a really good example at least you know you're at sultan ahmed square for example (laughs) even if you don't know what sultan ahmed means (laughs) yeah i mean the word like sultan is yeah all right well that was a good one lively history section Okay, so now we're going to move on into our favorite and final section, which is what the fuck, Sultan of Success and Fatima's hit list. What are your what the fucks? <laughs> um, the book that said Time Machine, for sure. <laughs> um, you didn't like that? Also, if, I mean, that must have been the H.G. Wells novel, right? When was that? Hold on. When was that written? That would be funny if it was like written after this like was taking place so like he would have had to time travel to get it <laughs> hold on stand by <laughs> <laughs> okay it was thought... published 1895 so it, oh. he like could have just been living his life and obtained the copy but okay. I, I i would have really enjoyed it if it had been written like in 1920 and he had yeah. a copy in 1990 <laughs> yeah yeah also um petty day like well not petty to isra being like, oh, you look like Humphrey Bogart and so funny. The other person, she says, Robin Williams, Bogart- huh? Robin, Robin Williams. Williams. <laughs> oh god, that was so, so weird. funny. Also, like, not true. Like, there's nothing not about him that says Robin Williams. <laughs> <laughs> or Humphrey Bogart, if I remember yeah. what he looks like. Yeah, but also, like, it's funny that she didn't. Well, I guess she was really drunk, but like, really couldn't yeah. make the connection that like she was like speaking to someone who had no clue who those people were yeah thankfully like it was so just beyond his ability to comprehend that it's not like one of those things that would ripple through and affect history kind of thing like those names flew right, right out of his brain mm-hmm. unlike um, the white sneaker yeah exactly unlike yeah. the white sneaker that is definitely about to start a premature trend in yeah. Europe. <laughs> athleisure comes in the 1930s <laughs> yes. but had they figured out how to make like rubber souls oh, probably not yeah. <laughs> still a lot of people had to die yet to be able to but- make rubber souls that sounds like another history section oh god <laughs> <laughs> Oh God, I can I can recommend you a few books that you can read if you want. I think want I'm good for right now. <laughs> um, um. Okay, I have the munitions depot is like completely empty. There's like one sad little pile of boxes in the whole thing, which are like all like Red Cross looking, boxes. right? Which are like <laughs> like medical stuff, not like yeah bombs or whatever is supposed to be in there. So that was pretty weird. Oh, I have what the fuck to Dimitri for keeping so many open flames next to so much paper. Like mm-hmm. one little gust of wind and that whole house is gone. It was crazy. Good good catch. I didn't think about that. Yeah. <laughs> if he's a little time traveling wizard, he should have brought back some like of those Costco candles that have batteries. 
Yeah. <laughs> also, the guy who took um, Ahmed out to Dimitri's hideout, like, who was that? Just like a essentially a taxi cab for hire, but by so. horse. And like, how did he describe where they were going to this man? Like, <laughs> how's that man gonna no, get back? Because I'd... I'd be lost as hell. <laughs> but. It also reminded me of the Amazing Race, where they're always like, "If you don't make your cab cabby wait, you're in trouble." Right. But he like let that guy go in the middle of nowhere, but like not like he would have been able to get back on the cab because he was thrown into a hole. But but still. what was his plan to get back? Yeah, to, yeah. To what town? was his plan? <laughs> um, I also have what the fuck to Halit being such a good shot. I feel like there's mm-hmm. no way that guns were that accurate back in the day. I feel like they were a lot rougher. And I just, that just seemed very unlikely, but cool. (laughs) Anything else? I don't have anything other than my, who wrote that ransom note and. That's a good one. That's a really good one. Yeah. (laughs) Um, Okay. Who is the Sultan of success? Not Ahmed. Oh my God. (laughs) (laughs) I kind of want to say Naeem Bey because his uh, nightgown was really cool. I wanted it. Oh, the, I forgot about that iconic fashion statement. It was a good fashion statement. <laughs> mm. Like Harry Styles would wear that. Like, he iconic, 100% would wear that. <laughs> <laughs> Esra for her clever kidnapping ruse, although it didn't turn out very well. Didn't really yeah. Out well. Maybe Dimitri. Oh yeah, he did get rid of like probably the biggest <laughs> threat he's ever faced. Yeah, to date, was he just that. shoved him down a giant hole under the sea. He had a he had a great plan. Like he had a good contingency plan in place for like if someone asked questions that suggested they knew way too much, simply yeah. take them to hole and shove. <laughs> and shove. <laughs> um, okay, I'm good with that. Yeah. I can't think of it. I, I don't want to give it to Esther again because she, no. she, she'd be fooling, but yeah. <laughs> she got her daughter kidnapped, so that's, like, not great. Yeah, also yeah, she, like, keeps, anything. like, telling her daughter that she's, like, descended from her, and I'm like, this is gonna mess up this child at some point. So yeah, like really. <laughs> um, this is also, like, one day after she was like, goodbye, child. You'll never see me again. <laughs> Literally. Also, sorry, but this is, like, not the right section for this, but, like, if <laughs> Her, if Leda is truly her grandma, but like also Perede, who appears to be dead, is really just equal to Estra, how did this child come to be? Is it all like an infinite loop of like ancestry? Mm. Wow. Ah. <laughs> maybe, maybe there was time travel before the child was born. I don't even know if this is going to get answered. This is very oh brain hurting. Yeah. <laughs> it's like an Ouroboros, like the snake that's eating its own tail. Yes. That's, like, that's what this is. <laughs> that Since we did that history section, that literally has come up so many times. I feel like it's just everywhere in pop culture. Yeah. Yes. It's a, it's a trivia mainstay. I'm too. always like, like oh my God, I know called? it's an Ouroboros. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> It was also in another show, wasn't it? Oh, in uh, Atia Nonsense. Oh, no, it was Atia. in Atia Nonsense. Oh, there's a new show. You can cut all this out. Sorry. There's a new show on Netflix called Shah Meran, which is about like the mother of the oh, snakes. Oh, I saw that. Yeah. And that's also a supernatural show. Ooh. So 
which I feel like strong Atia vibes, strong like identical reactions to Atia vibes. <laughs> <laughs> strong plot hole vibes. Yes. <laughs> um, who is on Fatima's hit list? Osman. George. Oh, Os- well, Osman, we don't really know. He seems a little sketch, but I don't feel comfortable condemning him. We Although don't know me- that he's bad, but yeah. I definitely got bad vibes. Whoever yeah, kidnapped okay. the child. Yeah. yeah. I mean, that's George. But also, like, George, yeah. <laughs> yeah, I think that's the only Not person I mean, Naeem Bay for being... For being him. Yeah. But he wore such a cool nightgown. Mm, you think, okay. He's pardoned for for extreme fashion. Yes. Aptitude. <laughs> <laughs> um, okay, well, congratulations to our Sultan of Success, Dimitri. Watch out to George. I'm sure you're going to do more dastardly things in the future, but hopefully Fatima gets you before then. Thank you all so much for listening. And next time we'll be talking about episode five.